Amen. Amen. The victory is his, and the victory is ours because of, because of Christ. Amen? Amen? And I wonder if we understand what that means, right? The victory is ours, and overcomer is also what the Bible says, as we're about to look at here in a minute, is that we are overcomers, and we have victory because of, because of Christ, and what that means in our life. And so my prayer today, as we look through these verses, um, that God would reveal that and teach us in our heart what that means to be victors, to be overcomers in Christ. Last Sunday, the title of the sermon was, I was once blind and now I see. And today it's, I was once blind and now I see clearly. I can see clearly. And as we walk through these verses, I want to give you a picture to look at in relation to what we're learning in these verses. And I think a good picture of that is a story that we see in the Bible. And we're going to get to 1 John in just a little bit. But it's in Mark, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark in chapter 8. In verse 22, we see about a blind man that comes to Jesus, that people bring him to Jesus because he is blind. And I want to read this. And and what I want you to do is to picture the position that he's in before he comes to Christ, when he comes to Christ, how he stays with Christ, and how that looks after he sees But not only that, but also his level of blindness or his level of being able to see in relation to what we're going to look at here in just a minute. So if you would turn with me, Mark chapter 8, 22. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen. And this is what the Bible says. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought him are brought to him, that's Jesus. Some people, we don't know who they are, but they brought to him, to Jesus, a blind man. And they begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people but they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes. Even though we may see, we may see things fuzzy, not clearly, Lord, I pray you open our eyes this morning to your word and you open our eyes clearly that, Lord, only the work of the Spirit can do that. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you are speaking into us and you're opening our eyes as we connect to you and we stay trustworthy and faithful to you and all God's people said, amen. Some of you may have seen me drive my old pickup truck around sometimes, my old 61 Chevy. That was a truck that my grandfather had given me off of his farm, and I fixed it up, and 
My uncle painted it in his body shop and drove it for a couple of years and wrecked it. But anyway, long story, it's driving now. And, um, but I remember driving it to high school, and it was before, before my brother was old enough to drive. And there was no heater, there's no defroster in it at all. So he would, I would have him scrape the inside of the windshield in the wintertime as we were driving to school. And it was just, I would say, hey, just keep it scraped enough, cleaned off enough so we can make it to school alive, right? Like, that's all, that's the goal, I guess. Make sure I don't wreck, you know, keep an eye out, keep scraping the windshield. And I think that's a lot of the world, right? Like, we want just, we want to see just enough to get to heaven. We, we don't want to see clearly, like, we don't want to fix the defroster or anything like that to see clearly. We just, just enough just enough faith to get to heaven. But I want you to see here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, that God has other promises for us. That he, he wants more for us in our walk with Jesus. And, and, and this is something that God's been working on my heart. This is not just me preaching to you because I've got this figured out. But these are... These are things that God has been working in my heart and revealing to me uh, throughout the last few weeks as well. And so I, I pray that I can share some of these things that God's been working. But I'm going to go ahead and read 1 John 5, 1 through 5. And then um, I'm going to circle back. And I, I think there's a few principles that I see in here that I, I think we can learn from. Uh, chapter, verse, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. John says this, he said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him, that is our brothers and sisters in Christ. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The five promises of God that I see here first is that that which overcomes the world is our faith. Those that put our, your faith and trust in Jesus alone are reborn. Are reborn. Nicodemus asked Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? He says, well, you must be reborn spiritually. You must be reborn. That's the first promise of God is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are reborn of God and are, we then get eyesight. We were once blind and now we see. But the way that we see, I think I have a graphic to throw up. We see like this. We're, we were once blind, but, but now we see like this. Praise God we can see. Praise God we have eternal life. Like, I'm a once saved, always saved kind of person. 
That once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that God holds you in his righteous right hand. You are going to be with eternity with Jesus forever. There's no mistake of that at all. Philippians 1.6, the good work that I started in you, I will finish it at the day of completion. That's the promise of God. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus. This, we're just like the blind man. We have an encounter with Jesus. We put our faith in him and we can see. But it's like men walking like trees. Like it's fuzzy. It's not quite as good as I had hoped, but it's okay. Like I'll take it. The thief on the cross is an example of your salvation is secured. The thief on the cross did nothing other than put his faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus says, for today you'll be with me in paradise. But the big but, the big but is that God has more for us. Just as we saw in the blind man. He wants us to see clear, more clearly than just men looking like trees. Spurgeon, in one of his sermons I was reading, I'm going to quote him here, I'm going to read this. He said, brethren... That's brothers and sisters in Christ. Be grateful for any sort of light. Without the grace of God, we could not have a ray of it. One ray of light is more than we deserve. If we were shut up in the blackness of darkness forever, how could we complain? Do we not deserve, since we shut our eyes against God, to be doomed to perpetual darkness? Be thankful, be thankful then for the least gleam of light. But do not so prize what you have as not to wish for more. We should wish for more light. He goes on to say that man is sadly blind still who does not care to see more. It is a bad sign of unhealthiness when we have no desire to grow Later, he goes on to say, but when the Lord Jesus Christ brings a man to see a little and to desire to see more, he does not leave him till he has led him into all truth. God desires for us to see more clearly, to have more truth, to have a better relationship with God. It's an overcoming, as we're going to see here in a little bit. And as we see with the blind man, it was simply that he stayed with Jesus. It wasn't that he became a little, he saw a little bit of light and he was satisfied that and ran off. No, he, he stayed with Jesus, the one who gave him the lights. God has so much more for you and for me. So much more. That when we are put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we are born of God. That is the first promise is that we can see that we are born of God and that we can see. The second promise that I see in verse 1 and 2 is that when you are reborn of God, you will love God. And then you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's natural for a baby to love their parents. And the more they love their parents, the more they love their brothers and sisters, naturally. I mean, we live in a broken, sinful world. That's not always the case. But in a perfect situation, you naturally love. When you're reborn, you naturally love your parents, your father, 
and your siblings. That's the second promise that I see of God in verse 1 and 2. And in verse 3, I see the promise to obey our Father's commandments. Let me read that to you again, verse 2 through 3. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we would keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. If you love somebody and they tell you to do something, it shouldn't be burdensome. In Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, you are putting so much of a burden, so much of a weight onto the people that they can't withstand the weight and you don't even lift a finger to do it yourself. He was rebuking the religious people to say, hey, you're putting a burden on them. You're putting hundreds of rules and laws on people that you aren't even obeying yourself. When Jesus says, hey, my burdens are light. My yoke is easy. He says, simply love me and love others. And if you do that, you're going to be walking in obedience. You're going to be walking in obedience to me, and it's not going to be burdensome. The fourth promise I see here in this is that as we want to, it's not a burden to obey God's commandments. To me, the fourth point I see in that is that we want to please God. That we want to please God. Now, as Christians, the fear of God is that we want to please God. The fear of God, you've heard of that and seen that in the Bible, is to fear, is the fear of God is to please God as Christians. For those that aren't Christians, the fear of God is judgment. Is the fear of God. But as Christians, the fear of God is that we would want to please our Heavenly Father. There's an old proverb that says, love feels, love feels no burdens. Love feels no burdens. The last point, the fifth point, we're going to camp out on this for a little bit, verse 4 through 5, is that we overcome the world, that we are victors. I'm going to read that again to you, verse 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Overcomers are overcome death. Like Christ, when he was raised from the grave, hallelujah, praise God, and he overcame death. And as we are in Christ, that we overcome death. We are overcomers. We have victory over death. Jesus conquered death once and for all. Praise God. And we are victors. But overcomer here in the Greek means that we are conquerors and that we have victory. Conquerors and that we have victory. And the word the world in Greek means present order of things. Over evil, over temptation over the world, over our desires, over wanting wealth, health, and pleasures of the world. 
Not to say that God is some cosmic killjoy. I'm not saying that at all. God wants us to be happy and to be joyful and to have things. But what I'm talking about is victory over comers of the temptations and the draw of the world over God. Right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you love God, you'll love others. That's what it's talking about, is that we can be overcomers of the world, the present order of things that are opposed to the kingdom of God. That we can be overcomers. Overcomers are followers of Christ that resist the power and temptation of the world. It's not that we're not sinners, but that we sin less and less and less. But hold fast to the faith in Christ until the end. Overcoming requires complete dependence on God. That's why Paul talked about finish the race, keep your eye on the prize. Endurance and steadfastness are the things that we strive for. It is hard to run a marathon and keep your eye focused on the prize. Like I've never ran a marathon for a reason. I don't think I would make it. I'm a 5K kind of guy. But it's a marathon that we're running as Christians. And it's easy to take our eye off of the prize. As John writes here that we are overcomers daily, daily. And it requires complete dependence upon God. And the Bible talks about abiding daily, staying connected to God daily. For me... The desires of the world is to forget my calling that God has given me. Sometimes that's strong. Sometimes it's almost overpowering. And I need people around me to remind me. And I've already got some notes from you, and I know some are in the back. Those words of encouragement and what God's doing here at True Life are encouraging to me. And I see what God is doing here. And it's so encouraging to me. And we need to encourage one another. Because the the draw of the world is so strong. And I I forget that this world is just a vapor. Right? We're, We're studying Ecclesiastes and life group. Like the most wise man to ever live, Solomon, says, hey. He experienced everything in the end. He says, hey, it's all a vapor. It's just all like smoke. It's here one second, it's gone the next. Like this world will draw you into all these things with this false hope. And in the end, it's all about God. Right? It's all about God. The world tries to make me forget that my complete joy comes from serving God. Like that's where my joy comes from. And Amanda was reminding me the other day, she goes, when you were in corporate, you were just not very happy. You were miserable all the time. She said, ever since you became the pastor of True Life, start True Life Community Church, she said, there's this joy within you that I've never seen before. But the world can make me forget about that. It's the power of this world that we live in. I see in verse 5 here, it says that we overcome the world. It's warfare. It's spiritual warfare that that you and I are in as Christians. 
to focus our minds upon the kingdom of God every day. Like the enemy and this world is out to distract us, to use every tactic possible that we would not focus on the kingdom of God. Being busy, being distracted, always in a hurry. Every time I hear a hurry, I hear that country song. Anyway, I'm in a hurry to get things done. I Russian, Russian. I grew up in Southern Missouri. I know all these country songs. Always comes back to me. Anyone know that song? No. Oh, no. Okay, thanks. There we go. I was thinking of this story about being in a hurry. When I was in the military, you come down for formation bright and early. And you're always waiting on someone. Someone's always running behind. And so we had this thing where the whole platoon, if there was somebody missing, we'd all at the same time in the same case started going, hurry up, waiting on you, hurry up, waiting on you. And you would just keep doing that louder and louder until that person, you know, is, so they're humiliated and they don't do it again, right? Well, one day at our old church, we were waiting on Amanda, the kids and I, in the car in the garage and waiting on her to come out. And so I'm like, hey, kids, let's start singing, hurry up, waiting on you. And so we're all in there, hurry up, waiting on you. And she came out and didn't have the reaction that I thought she would. (laughs) Needless to say, I didn't do that again. (laughs) I'm a quick learner. But the world, like, it tries to distract us and get us in a hurry, right? And a lot of things with the kingdom of God is... Waiting upon the Lord, keeping your eye on Him. He talks about agriculture and seasons for a reason, right? But I think the world a lot of times tries to distract us and keep us, keep us busy. If that is you today, I would say give yourself some grace. Like I, I do, like I'm always busy and distracted in a hurry. We do have God's grace And I want to remind you of that. Um, Joseph and Mary, they uh, were in a hurry and distracted. Um, I always say, well, if they can have some mistakes as parenting, I can have some mistakes as parenting. They were were parenting Jesus. Um, At the age of 12 years old, um, they look up in a caravan and they realize Jesus was missing. He was gone. Like, they had lost the Messiah, Jesus. Like, he's gone. Like, could you imagine the, the, just being distracted and in a hurry? Three days. Three days Jesus was gone. Could you imagine? And so they get back to the temple. And, of course, Jesus, he's teaching in the temple. And they're like, hey, where are you? And, where, you know, where have you been? And he goes, why? Jesus says, why? As a 12-year-old boy, he says, why are you seeking me? Don't you know I must be all about my father's business? I must be about my father's business. Now, in Jewish times at that time, about 12 years old, around there is when you start to learn your father's trade, your father's business, right? And Jesus was a carpenter, right? He did learn his earthly father's trade, but he also learned his heavenly father's business, And I would say, just as Christ, so are we to be about our Father's business of being overcomers, 
of this world and helping others to do the same, to be overcomers, to have victory over this world. To be overcomers daily, to keep your eye on the prize, to have faith in Christ. Yes, we are saved, once saved, always saved, but there are promises in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. We can't get into all of these today, but I do want to point some of those out. That we serve God faithfully because we love Him. We don't do it for the prize, but there are those things that are promised in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 2, verse 7 says that those that are overcomers of the world will eat from the tree of life. Chapter 2, verse 11 says that you will not be unharmed by the second death. Chapter 2, verse 17 says you will eat from the hidden manna and you will be given a new name. I may preach on that sometime, that God will give us a new name. Overcomers. Have authority over the nations that we will have responsibility in heaven. Chapter 2, verse 26. Be clothed in white garments. Chapter 3, verse 5. Be made a permanent pillar in the house of God. Chapter 3, verse 12. And just as... Christ sat on the throne, the right-hand throne of God. Jesus says, you, as an overcomer, will sit with me on my throne in chapter 3, verse 21. But Jesus gives us a warning in Mark 13, 13. He says, those that follow me daily, and those that are overcomers, that you will be hated for my name's sake. But he says, it'll be worth it. It will be worth it for those that endure, for those that endure, for those that finish well, who overcome, it will be worth it. I wear these uh, Nike shoes, hoping that it'll make me like look hipster or cool or something. I think it was back when the government was sending us all that money. I'm like, I want to buy some cool preacher shoes. I wear them ever since. But, you know, they're Nike, Right? Does anyone know what the Nike symbol, the Greek Nike symbol, or the word Nike, what that means? I know it's like the whooshing sound, but, but it's victory, right? That's kind of where the word overcomer came from, was the word Nike in the Greek, victory, overcomer. So we are overcomers. The way that we are overcomers, back in Mark chapter 8. I'm going to go back to that. Back to the story. Mark chapter 8. Verse 25. I think this is important to point this out. Not Matthew, Mark. Verse 25. Verse 24, he says, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And we don't know what that time span is between those verses, but then 25, it says, then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his, eye, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly, and he sent him out. 
To be overcomers is not to be satisfied with just blurry vision. It is to remain with Jesus. Not be satisfied until our vision is completely clear. To not be satisfied with just getting into heaven. Just barely squeaking by. But to remain with Jesus. To abide, to stay connected. I heard uh, Tony Evans give an example of abiding, and I thought I wanted to share that with you. He said it's like a tea bag. Like, we make tea at our home. We have a little tea maker that we make tea. We like tea at our house. But he's talking about tea as you put it into the hot water. He said some people like to dip the tea. Some people like to pull it out and like push on it and try to squeeze the, the remainder of the darker liquid out. Anyone here? I'm that way. I let it soak for a little bit, dip it, try to squeeze it out, right? Abiding is Christ is the tea bag is just sitting in the water and letting it sit. Letting it just sit there. The tea bag being Christ and the water being you is just to remain in Christ. There's nothing that you need to do. And as the water moves back and forth through the tea bag, the water changes colors. It becomes more like the tea bag. That is the power to overcome daily, is to be together, to encourage one another as the body of Christ, but it's also to abide, to remain in Christ daily, to, to pray, to be in fellowship, to read your Bible. Not a religious thing, like a check the box, but you love God and you want to Spend time with them. You find a time to be in quiet time with the Lord. That is abiding in Christ. Just as the blind man, he just lingered. Like it's lingering. Being with Christ is, is the way that we overcome daily. And I believe here as we're wrapping this up, I believe what I'm seeing here is that our measure as Christians... How well am I abiding in Christ? How much is Christ permeating who I am? How much am I becoming more like Christ every day? And I believe what I'm seeing here, the measure of that, that we can measure and point to, you'd have to do it yourself. I can't look at you and tell, is how much you love God and how much you love others. Because here we see the promise is that the more you love your Father the more you're going to love your brothers and sisters. I think that's one way to measure how well we're abiding. And I want to say this one more time, is that we need each other. You can't do Christianity alone. It's almost impossible to overcome daily without one another, praying for one another, helping one another, encouraging one another. Because this world is out for keeps. Last thing I want to mention back to the story of the blind man. Mark chapter 8 again, the very first verse, 22. And they came to Bethsaida. <clears throat> and here's what it says, the Bible it says, and some people brought to him, Jesus, 
a blind man and, you see this part, begged him to touch him. Who is it in your life that is blind? That needs Jesus? Who is it in your life that you are begging God to heal their blindness? Their spiritual blindness? Are we brave enough to be those people that takes a blind man and says, there's no hope for you other than this guy named Jesus. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. And we're going to beg God to open your eyes. And as you think of who that is, I would encourage you to pray for them, to be the light of Christ that they cannot see, to beg God to open their eyes to see more clearly. If you're here today and this is all new to you, uh, I just want to read out of God's word. It's not my word, it's God's word. The last two verses here again. 1 John 5, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, overcomes death. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, is our faith. Faith alone and Christ alone, not by works so that no man may boast. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? This is a question. Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And the answer to that rhetorical question is no one. No one outside of faith in Christ can overcome death or overcome the world. If that's you here today, I want to encourage you that you can be reborn spiritually. All you have to do is put your faith and trust in Christ. You have to humble yourself. To say there is no way, there's nothing that I can do in this world. There's nothing that this world will satisfy. There's a hole in my heart. I've tried to fill it with everything. Everything that this world has to offer and there's still something lacking. And the answer to that is Christ alone. He fills that hole in your heart that no one else can fill. He gives us hope. He gives us victory. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him and stop trying to please God because nothing will please him outside of his son, Jesus, and the work on the cross. All you got to do is call out to him, ask him into your heart. He's a perfect gentleman. He's waiting on you. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we are overcomers. That, Lord, you don't just desire for us to see and have victory, but, Lord, you desire for us to be overcomers every single day as we abide in you. Lord, we are sinful. Lord, we need your help. 
to be the encouragers for one another, to stay connected to you daily. Lord, help us to be like that blind man who is not just satisfied with seeing things blurry, that we would stay with you and we would say, Lord, We would just be just like Peter. We'd say, Lord, where else would we go? There's nowhere else to go, Lord. You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. There is no other hope. That we would be like the blind man, that we would stay. We would linger. We would hold on to Jesus until we can see clearly. Help us to be overcomers. Help us to know that you and following you is better than anything this world has to offer. Lord, help us to not be like all the people we read in the Bible who walk away. When we come to that point, that decision of following you or following the world, Lord, help us. We need you. We are desperately calling for you to help us. To keep our eyes on you. Lord, this world is fleeting quickly. There is much kingdom work to do. There are many people who I, who I, whose eyes are blind. That need us, Lord help them to find you. The one, the only hope. Lord, we thank you for the vision that we have, the light that we can see. Because Lord, we do, as Spurgeon said, we deserve complete and utter darkness so we thank you Lord for the light of Christ that we have we don't take that lightly Lord we thank you for today we thank you for your word we thank you that you're reminding us that we have victory, that victory is ours and all God's people said Amen